Bible going through to verse 28. And we want to say, that, at least on the outset, that sometimes the people who look the craziest are actually the smartest, aren't they? Some people who look crazy are actually the smartest people around. Like when inflation first starts taking off and you see a guy running into GM and he buys a whole truckload of bread. Now we all know to do that. But in the early days, nobody knew why you would do that. That looks crazy. And you see some guy rush in there and he buys an entire truckload of stuff right before the prices go up. And at the time, we thought he looked crazy until we saw how much money he made when he sold it. And thinking, man, I wish I had been crazy first. Now, Ruth, a famous teacher in the Middle East, has this story. Um, as a student offering a payment for classes, and the student offers him two coins. One is worth about $10, and one is worth $1. He says, it's your choice, Nasruddin, which do you want? And Nasruddin says, I think I'll take the more valuable one. And he grabs the $1 coin. And the student laughs at his head. What an idiot, this guy's older than I thought. And he tells his friend about it. Nasruddin can't tell the difference between a $10 bill and a $1 bill. The other student says, no. And he goes up and shows Nasruddin a $10 coin and a $1 coin. And says, pick the one, sir, that you think is more valuable. And Nasruddin again picks the $1 coin. The rumor begins to circulate that this guy, supposedly a wise teacher, is dumber than he looks. And over and over again, people walk away laughing until finally a businessman says, Nasruddin, you gotta pick the $10 coin that people offer. He says, are you kidding me? I paid $90 so far with people bringing in their $1 coins. I make more money from that than from teaching. <laughs> Sometimes crazy, isn't it? Here's what Jesus says. He's teaching a large crowd that was gathered around him so large that he gets into a boat and he steps out the lake and there's all the people along the shore of the water's edge, people pushing to touch Jesus and be close to Jesus. And he taught them many things in parables. In his teaching, he said, listen, there's a farmer who went out to sow some seed. Why does Jesus use parables? We're going to talk about that this morning for a couple of reasons. But I want you to turn to the person next to you. Surely you've been around church once or twice. So why is it that Jesus tells so many stories when he teaches parables? So turn to the person next to you and give them your, your initial 30 seconds. Well, I have great news for you. The reason that you said, you're correct. Um, all of you. Because there's many reasons that Jesus tells parables. It's more interesting to listen to. It's easier to remember. Preachers would be boring if we didn't have parables. What would the preacher talk about? Um, there's lots of great reasons to you tell stories. People prefer stories. But sometimes, the reason we have to tell parables is because if we didn't use parables, we would use an abstract statement. I would stand up here and say, The Lord has commanded me to tell those who reside in Charenti to be generous. So turn to the person next to you and say, Be generous. Be generous. Be generous. Okay. Here's the problem. That sounds like I'm being clear, doesn't it? Sounds very clear. I said be generous, and what I meant by that was, um, be generous. There you go. Sounds clear. The problem is, is that your definition of generous, and my definition of generous, may not be the same. 
generous. And someone else is thinking, gosh, next week, one time, if my friend asks me for a pen, I'll let them borrow it for the day. There, I'm generous. Some of you will say, I'll let a stranger stay in my house when they're sick. Then I'll be generous. But some of you might say, well, I'll be generous by when I'm in the line with someone else at TM. I'll turn around to them and say, good morning. And they'll say, good morning. And I'll say, it's a nice day, isn't it? There. It's nice to somebody else. Gosh, get off my back. The reason you may have to tell a parable is because what you are teaching is so different from what has been said before that I can't use any of the old words without you bringing in all the wrong meaning. I can't say justice and assume that your definition of fairness and mine are the same. I can't use the word love and assume your definition of love and mine are the same. And because of what Jesus is teaching is so different than what came before, he must so that when Jesus says there was a widow, she had two coins, she came in, she gave two pennies in the offering, but because it was all she had, it was that an offering which God accepted. She gave more than anyone else. And that's not a story that we can get around so easily. That's a story that confronts us with all kinds of questions about what we're supposed to do with it. Parables are meant to change the way we see the world around us. They are truths that are so fundamental to the gospel that they require a different way of seeing the world. Here's what he said. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. He was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path and birds came and they ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where they didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and withered because it had no roots. Others fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. And still others fell on good soil. When they came up, they produced a, a crop, some multiplying 30, 60, and even 100 times. And Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them, what's that last word? Hear. Hear. You got ears, you can check this morning, go and double check. Yeah, yeah they're both still there. Okay. So if you have ears to hear, then let them hear. Now the only reason you would say if you have ears, make sure you're using them to hear, is it must be possible to have ears and not hear. Right? It must be possible, if Jesus is commanding you, if you've got ears, listen up, then it must at least be possible to have ears and hear nothing. But Jesus didn't need to tell you that. Your mom has told you that growing up. Are you listening when I'm talking to you? When somebody's trying to speak with you and your eyes are wandering in a different direction and you hear the words, but not exactly. Have you ever had somebody repeat back what you said, but you know that they weren't really listening to you? Jesus says, be careful, because to hear my words is not always to hear them. Listen carefully. When he was alone, the twelves and the others were out. Him and asked him about the parables. I love that the twelve apostles live with Jesus and they wait till he's alone to say what is to ask him what the parables about. Because while they're with Jesus in the boat, they're sitting there saying, That's right, it's a good story. That's powerful. I think we all know what that means, all right? The seed and there's rocks and birds and plants and choking. This is spiritual stuff. But then when all the crowds got home and the twelve were sitting around with Jesus, they start asking him, so 
They told them the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. To those on the outside, everything is in parables. So that they may be ever seen but not perceived. They may be ever hearing but not understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Well, that goes against my theory altogether, doesn't it? Because Jesus himself says the reason I'm telling parables is so that they will see and not get it. I'm telling a really good story so that they won't understand what I'm talking about. What? Are you telling me that Jesus is saying he's being confusing on purpose? And Jesus would appear to say, yes, it is confusing. Why would he say this? This is, of course, a quote from Isaiah chapter 6. This is that scene, if you're not familiar with the book of Isaiah, where uh, Isaiah goes into the temple late at night and he sees a vision of God and that God's robe fills the temple and uh, God calls out, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, what does he say? Here am I, send me. And the angel brings the call from the altar and she touches his lips and so his lips are now clean and it goes, the story goes on and I and God describes Isaiah's ministry this way. You will be, you will preach, but they will be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. So what Jesus is doing here is symptomatic for what it means to carry around God's word. That some people will get it, but not everyone will get it. It is possible, apparently, to have ears, but not hear. Jesus describes that what he's giving them is the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to uh, at least correct perhaps an old translation, depending on which version of the Bible you're using. But this word right here, he told them the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, depending on which Bible you're using, there's another word that may be in your translation. And that's the word mystery. Because the word underneath here is the mysterion of the gospel. Mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel has been given to you. The problem with that term mystery, and you may have heard it both here and in Paul, if you leave your translation mystery, is in English, mystery sounds like something that can't be figured out. Something that's beyond explanation. Like, uh, you know, for example, my wife likes to put pineapple on pizza. Right? Now that's a mystery. There is no explanation which could possibly make that make sense.
The Bible has a way of sneaking back into churches where those in power underestimate its influence. Uh, a famous conference by the Worldwide Church of God um, about 15 to 20 years ago were meeting, and the Worldwide Church of God, if you don't know, used to follow a crazy prophet by the name of Armstrong. Um, however, some of the members of the Worldwide Church of God got together at some point, and they began reading their Bible. And at some point, they noticed that the Bible's teaching and their prophet's teaching were not the same thing. And so they declared a revolution of the church. And a friend of mine was part of the campaign to go around and call all the churches back to a gospel-centered church. The Worldwide Church of God today follows the Bible only similarly to most other denominations. The Bible was there because those in, those in power had time spun a wild message. But the Bible was there to call us back again. The parables of Jesus call us back to the true gospel over and over again. Jesus says, don't you understand the parable? If you don't get it, how then will you understand any parable? Here's what it says. The farmer sows the word. The first thing we see here is the intention of the farmer is that everyone would know. The first thing this parable makes clear is the farmer wants everyone is throwing seed everywhere. So when Jesus says some people get it and some people don't, it's not because God wants some people not to get it. It's not because God has magically sacked one or two people and they get it, but everyone else is on God's bad list. This parable opens up by saying it is God's intention that absolutely every single being on the planet would be saved. God so loved the whole world, not just God loved everybody, and he is putting his word out everywhere. That means that those who get it are in a self-selected or self-eliminated group. That's what this is saying. Parable starts off by saying the farmer is sowing seed everywhere, even if people don't deserve it, even if people don't get it. The farmer is wanting his children to come home. God puts his word out over and over again. Although they don't see what that quotation from Isaiah says, they see and don't understand. But what it makes clear in this parable is that that is not what the farmer wants. So see everywhere. Who's throwing it irresponsible? He's giving it to people who don't deserve it. He's preaching it to people who are uh, ungrateful. He's preaching it to people who are selfish. He's preaching it to people who are conniving. He's preaching it to people who are checking their Facebook right now. He's preaching it to people who, are, who do not deserve to be in church this morning. The Word of God goes out to all of us. And we're lucky it does. Because as the story goes on, it's the seed that makes all the difference. But the soil has to be ready. You see, some people, they say, they're like this path. The power of the seed is only manifest if the soil is willing. Here's what it says. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Their hearts are so hard that there is no life change. They were there in church, but before they even got to the parking lot to get back in their vehicles, they had already forgotten that they were feeling convicted about it. The Holy Spirit was moving in them to, to help set them free from their bondage and their uh, habits, to open up new possibilities, to fix what is broken about their lives. And they begin to feel this stirring of things they should be doing. Uh, maybe I should start reading the gospel. Maybe I should start 
reconcile it. Maybe I should start serving. But between their seat and the car, they've already forgotten what it is they were planning on doing. Before they get very far, Satan comes and takes it away. Satan has a wonderful way of bringing up distractions at the worst possible moment. Have you ever noticed when you beat them into praying regularly in the morning, the first time you do so, how many interruptions come your way? Between friends and smartphone alerts and sirens and power cuts and who knows, Satan will do whatever he can to keep God's people from connecting with him. It is important to bring a companion to church or to make notes on your phone about convictions you have, lest the Spirit be moving in you right now and you get home and forget what it is that God has asked you to do. Do not doubt your experience later because of your own forgetfulness. Many people do not experience the power of God's Word because they never wrote anything down and they never decided to do anything about it and they simply forgot. The next group to describe in this parable, others hear the word of God sown on rocky places and they hear and receive it at once in joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, people fall away. <laughs> we got plenty of places with rocky soil, not least of which our front yard here at the church. And with that rocky soil, if you don't have a borehole, you don't have grass. I mean, it's just not going to happen. The soil will be dry. By the time you water it in the morning, 20 minutes later, it's already back to sand. It just can't be watered. And these people are, some people, when they receive God's word, they receive the initial manifestation of joy. They have all the emotion that goes with it. The outpouring of the spirit, the tears, the laughter, the joy that comes with pouring your heart out before God and finding his acceptance. But then when it comes to going and putting down roots, they are too busy with other pursuits. Let me warn you, young people, may your faith always, may the study of your faith always match the study of other areas of your life. If you are getting a master's degree in biology, but still studying the Bible on a grade five level, then do not be surprised that there will be stumbling blocks to your faith that you imagine are insurmountable. Right? If you are still pursuing God the way that your aunt taught you when she was you were in Sunday school in church. Now there's nothing wrong with that. But the rest of your mind has moved on to bigger issues. You've not run into a lot of problems. You've met good people who are struggling. You're not sure what justice should look like in Terenzi. But your faith hasn't kept up. And there are many people in Terenzi. They're still going to church. They're still going through the motions because they love the joy and the emotion of church. But when it comes to developing roots, an answer, a serious answer from their faith, what I believe, what's the right thing to do, what does it mean to be a Christian in our generation, a serious answer to faith, they haven't bothered looking into it. Your faith, your mind, must pursue God at the level of the other, your other pursuits in life. Paul warns us, um, uh, sorry, Peter warns us to have an answer ready for when those who ask us about the hope that we possess. And if someone were to ask us, what does justice look like from the Bible's perspective? What does justice look like to Jesus? How should we be pursuing fairness here in Jerusalem? Christians should be ready with an answer. Those who have no roots will come across doubts, will come across difficulties and situations that don't fit in. And they will say, I believed growing up that everything would be perfect, but 
moment I ran into a difficulty, I knew that God didn't love me, and so I just felt abandoned, so I quit going to church. But that kind of faith that believes that everything will go smoothly, one, has never read the Gospels. Because if God allowed his own son to face opposition, if Jesus told you repeatedly that he would face opposition, why are you surprised when, in fact, you face opposition? Because when I was in Sunday school in the grade two, my aunt told me, you need to put down roots. Still others like to see that those someone among thorns, they hear the word. They have studied. They have roots. They know what they believe. They have learned God's word. They know the person of Jesus. They know what it means to spread the gospel. But they also have other interests competing for their attention. They desire to have relationships. They desire to have income. The deceitfulness of wealth and desire for things come in and choke out the word. We know what God wants, but we're just not able to do it because we're terribly busy at the moment. We've simply carved no time out of our schedule. As we've talked as a church this season before Lent, uh, this season of Lent before Easter, is a time of making space. Because we live in an era where it is possible to schedule yourself to spiritual death. You can schedule yourself to spiritual death, to so fill your calendar with other things to do that you simply neglect your spiritual life until it atrophies. And so here we see some who take the word of God, but they get choked out by the desires for other things, and God's word does not have a chance to carry in their lives. But others, like to see someone on good soil hear the word accepted and produce a crop 30, 60, and some hundred times. What was sown? Well, here's what I love about this. Three out of four people in this story didn't go well. Three people didn't get it in one day. But the one who did get it bore 30, the smallest of them, bore 30 times what was sown in them. Which means God is still up. Even if you are one in four down, God says yes, but the one person is like will make a difference that cannot be ignored by everyone else. They will bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. For those who allow God to transform them, the effect will not be subtle, the effect will be radical. The fruit will not be a little bit, it will be abundant. For those who have genuinely been transformed by the person of Jesus, there is, there is in their lives a power. And the rest of chapter 4 will describe how the kingdom of God is like. Though it's small like a mustard seed, it will grow and grow and grow into a mighty oak tree. Though it is like leaven, you can't even see it working. The dough just looks like it's sitting on the counter. It looks like nothing's happening. But if you step away and come back, the dough has doubled in size because of the kingdom of God at work in us. Jesus says, for those who allow it to change, you will have no doubt that God is working in you. It's a great test of leadership that says this. Great leaders are those who desire to know and those who are willing to change. Perhaps what I love best about this story is the disciples are so dumb that they have to ask Jesus for help in understanding parables. Jesus says, you've been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. And they say, no, those are good secrets. But if you could help us out, what were those secrets again exactly? And we'll write them down this time. The disciples asked Jesus, because they say, yes, you've given us the secrets, but I don't exactly know what they are. I wonder if that is not the story's point altogether. 
that all of us read this story and are a bit, are we in the group that is bearing good fruit? Are we the disciples? And the distinguishing mark of the disciples is not their brilliant deductions, and it's not their avid study, it's that they know to seek information from the person of Jesus. What gives them the secrets to the kingdom of God is their willingness to find him. Did we not say this morning, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you? What sets the disciples apart in this story is not is nothing other than their willingness to go to Jesus and say, help me to see it again. Jesus reverses this story, the quotation from Isaiah. If you go back and look at it, Jesus uh, made a small typo because he says it backwards. Um, in the original, it says, hearing they don't understand and seeing they won't perceive in, in, in Isaiah. Jesus reverses the quote. But at least I don't think Jesus is doing it on accident. Because seeing, people see Jesus before they go to teach. The first thing that is happening is that people need to look at the life of Jesus as an unfolding parable about what God intends for people. We look at the person of Jesus. And we study his word, habit. And what sets apart those who bear fruit is not some special condition of the soil. There's just really spiritual people out there and those who don't but a willingness to go, to ask, to seek, to knock, to find. The story of the New Testament over and over and over again is if you are willing, seek, and you will find. Uh, ask, and the door will be opened for you. What sets apart those who know the kingdom is that they are looking for it. Perhaps if God has not been bearing enough fruit in your life. Perhaps if you can say, I don't know if I really think my faith is keeping up with my doubts. I'm beginning to outgrow what I used to think about the Bible. I need some help to really show that I'm not just being consumed and distracted by other agendas in life. Then this season needs to be one where we go back to Jesus, sit at his feet again, and say, explain it to me one more time. As our musicians come forward today, a reminder of the text right before this is Mark chapter 3, verses 26. 28. Jesus finishes up this story about this comment about the blasphemy of the Spirit, and I'll leave that for you to look up in your notes to settle the bottom of that question. But Jesus says this, if you're going to break into a guy's house, you need someone bigger than a strong, bigger than whoever's in the house to tie him up. Right? You can't break into a house if you're weaker than the guy whose house is breaking into, or he'll beat you up. Right? So you've got to have somebody, you've got to have some muscle with you if you want to rob a house. Sorry, Jesus. If you want to go into a place where evil is thriving, you need somebody bigger and stronger who can tie up the strong man. The story Jesus is telling is saying, I am that person. When you feel like evil is assaulting you, that is beyond defeating, a habit that continues to pull you down, doubts that are holding you back, anxiety that is crippling you, and you feel like there is a problem in your life that you cannot uh, get over. You're trying to read your Bible, but doubt and, and difficulties and anxiety about tomorrow are so filling your mind you can't even read scripture. He says that you need is someone who can tie up strong. You need is to go to Jesus, like the disciples. And say, I, I, I need you. So during this time, if you are a baptized uh, believer in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, we invite you to come forward or in the back where there's stations. When we take that bread which represents his body and the cup which represents his blood, may we be in that act, may we say, like the disciples, Jesus, help open my eyes and my heart. I want to see you. 
I want to be the kind of soil that bears fruit 30, 60, 100 times. I don't want to be like that generation that has everything choked out, that has the word of God snatched away. God, I need your help.